thing, I realized that in order for that to even be possible, you have to surrender. You have to surrender your whole being to Jesus. And that's kind of a scary thing because he might make us do something wild. <laughs> and as we were, David and Anne were singing tonight, the, the, the word kind of fear kind of jumped off the page. And I think what happens for us is that sometimes fear keeps us from the destiny that God has for us. We, we're just afraid to let go because we don't know what's going to happen. So, um, Steph, if you want to bring those, those scriptures up for me. Um, first off, I want to share with you what called means. As Christians, we are all called. And so called would be, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So we're called by God's grace. And then, that's okay. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we are all called as believers to be saints. And then, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So we have been called now to also to a heavenly calling. And then, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're called into fellowship with Jesus. And I think there's another one, Steph. Is that the last one? Okay, perfect. Okay, so what I'm just trying to get at here is, as Christians, we're all called. We're all called to be saints. We're all called to, with the heavenly calling. We're all called to be with Christ. And then what happens is there's the calling. Each person that, that names the name of Jesus has a calling on their lives to be who God calls them to be. There's a spiritual calling. He prepares us. He equips us with that spiritual calling for a specific purpose now, sometimes someone will have a single calling for their whole life. And so you, you know people over the years, um, names, uh, well, like Jackie, for instance. He called to be a pastor, and he's been pastoring for 20 years. But that's his calling. But sometimes, like for myself over the years, I've had, God has called me into different things. God called us to move he gave us a calling to move from where we used to live to here to be part of a church. And then at one point, he, he called us to be here to be part of what's going on at the church. So, so he calls us into specific things for specific times. And that's the calling that he has on our lives. And so what I want to do is um, I just want to do a little survey of a few guys and we're going to take a look at their lives. And first, I just want to open up to the book of Genesis. This is Abraham, chapter 12. And we'll see that God had a calling on Abraham's life. 
So we'll just pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God gave a calling to Abram, Abraham to move away from everything he knew, to move out of his country, to move away from his family, and to just go. And we don't, we don't know what, ha- what proceeded in Abraham's life, but we do know that he just picked up and went. And what was the blessing of that? The blessing was that he was, that God was going to make Abraham a great nation. That God was going to, that God told him that in Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what would have happened if when God told Abraham or Abram to go, he said, well, are you kidding me? I'm not going anywhere. I've got my flocks here. My mom and dad are here. My friends are here. I got a great house. And he just said no. The blessing would have happened, but God would have used somebody else. Maybe it would have been, who knows, I don't know. But the point is, is that Abraham went. And for us, each one of us, when there is a calling on our lives, we come to that crossroad and we can say, yes, Lord, or we can say, I don't think so, Lord. I don't want to do that. And what stops us? Does fear stop us? Does human affection stop us? What, what is it that, that blocks us from, from going? And to go on in verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. I think I only know maybe one or two people in this room that are 75 years old. And it's not me, so. <laughs> so, but he was 75 years old. Abram was was being equipped. Nah, Abram was being equipped. All of these years, he was being trained. Whatever was happening, God was preparing him for the calling that He placed on his life. And when Abram was 75 years old. He went out, and he just said, okay, I'm, I'm going. And then if we can turn over to um, chapter 13, and we'll go to verses 14, uh, ver- start in verse 14 there. So it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk around in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. So what it, what's happening here is now Abram is seeing the result, he's seeing the fruit of his obedience. He's seeing the fruit of, of going out and just receiving the calling in his life 
and going forward. Just to digress just a little bit, a little bit, a few verses back, um, in verse 11, if you'll look, it says, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So what had happened is Abram and Lot's herds and, and their people got, there was so many of them, they couldn't stay in the same place. So Abram says, we're going to have to split up. And he said, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And so Lot lifted up his own eyes, and he looked out, and he saw what he wanted, and he took it. In, 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 uh, conversely, though, Abram, he, the, he says here, says, God told him to lift up his eyes. So Abram is submitted to the Lord. He's following the Lord. He's allowing the Lord to give him the vision that he has for him. And so Abram would be the first man that I wanted to share with you that the calling that God laid on his life, he went and he was blessed and he's the father of many nations. And so then the second uh, person, this character, is Moses. I want to go over to Exodus chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. So we see that Moses is on the backside of the desert, and why he's on the backside of the desert is he was... Uh, Pharaoh's daughter's son, and I believe he was like the number two man in Egypt. And one day he was walking along and he saw uh, an Egyptian uh, hurting, a, hurting a Jewish slave, Israelite, and so Moses killed the Egyptian, thinking that he was doing a very righteous thing for his, his brothers, the Jewish people. Well, the next day there's two Jews fighting, and Moses goes to break it up, and they say, wait, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptians? And then Moses all of a sudden realized he was found out, and then Pharaoh found out, and he was going to kill Moses. So Moses flees, and he goes on the backside of the desert. And so now he's back there tending sheep. God doesn't waste any, any time. This is, this is a time of preparation for, Mo, for Moses. Probably like, I think it was 40 years that Moses was on the backside of the desert in preparation for what God was going to do for it, do in him. So he was preparing him, equipping him. So we never know, whatever circumstance that you find yourself in, you never know what God is doing. We just need to keep our eyes open and say, yes, Lord. So, going on in verse 5, Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off 
your sandals, well, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then, and then the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Now, here it is, verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That is what God was calling Moses to do. And realize, Moses just, he fled from Pharaoh 40 years ago. Um, honestly, I should have looked this up. I'm not sure if it was the same Pharaoh, but nonetheless, he had fled Egypt, and now God was calling him to go back to Egypt to deliver his people. That would be a little bit fearful for me. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to, to you, and they say to me, What is his name, and shall I, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Moses is kind of making some small excuses right now. First he's saying, you know, he's saying, well, what, what shall, who shall I say sent me? And God's saying, well, I, I'm going to send you. I am who I am. That's who you tell them. And then we want to jump over to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Now he's making another excuse. He's, he's, he's backpedaling. He's, he's trying to, I could just see him in his mind trying to figure a way out of this. I really don't want to do this. I don't want to go. You're calling me, but I don't want to go. I just don't want to do it. And so, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God is taking away that excuse. He's saying, here, throw that rod on the ground. Man, it turns into a serpent. Okay, and then it straightens out and he goes, this is a sign. You have no excuse. He didn't say that out loud, but God's saying... I'm taking away that excuse. And so and so then he got lost and then furthermore said 
Okay, then I'm going to drop down to verse 10. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So now we're using the, he's using the excuse, I, I, I don't speak very well. In fact, he had a stutter. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. God keeps taking away his excuses, and he keeps saying, but, 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 and now he just says it straight out. Send somebody else. I don't want to go. How many times have I said, I don't want to go? I don't want to go. You're calling me, but I don't want to go. So now the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he, so he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. So God has taken away all the excuses. He's sending him with somebody to speak for him. He's sending him with a rod that, that there'll be miracles that they can say, yes, this is the Lord. And Moses has now lost all opportunity to have excuses. So he just needs to go. And the next person I wanted, let's turn over to Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 11. This guy's name is Gideon. Gideon was a judge in Israel. And he was a judge in Israel at, at a time when idolatry was rampant, when they were totally rebellious against the Lord. And what happened back in um, a little bit earlier chapter, well, in earlier in chapter 6, the Midianites prevailed against Israel, and not only did they prevail, they were destroying everything. Every time Israel would start to put up a crop, they'd come in and destroy it. No matter what they did, they kept destroying it. And so what the, what these, the, the kid, the people did is they went up in the mountains and they were hiding themselves in caves, in dens, and strongholds up in the mountains. But down in the valley, they were just, everything was just totally destroyed. In fact, so much so in, in verse six of chapter six, it says, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And in verse 10, it says, God, God, God spoke to, these, to them, and then he says in verse 10, Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So they had not obeyed the voice of the Lord. They were total disobedience. They needed a deliverer. They were calling out to God. And along comes Gideon. So we go to verse 11. It says, Now... The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, 
which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here we're using a wine press to thrash wheat, and Gideon's really kind of hiding in there so they won't see him, so they'll be able to maybe keep a little bit of that wheat. And it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Well, here we got Gideon hiding kind of in a wine press. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord says to him, mighty, calls him a mighty man of valor. And so Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So here we have Gideon, a judge, he's doubting, he's doubting the Lord. He's saying, so where is the Lord? Where is he? And so then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? There's a calling. God is calling Gideon to be the deliverer. And he said, Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon's saying, Lord, my family's the weakest family in Manasseh. Not only is my family the weakest in Manasseh, I'm the weakest in my family. How in the world am I going to be the deliverer? So he's got this doubt kind of going on, and he's kind of going, what, what are you talking about? So, and the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Interesting to think about this, you guys. Gideon is looking at the overwhelming odds, but he's forgetting to look at the God of the overwhelming odds. And right here, he says, Surely I will be with you. The Lord will be with Gideon. The Lord will be with you. If you're, if you're thinking through things in your mind right now, God, where, where are you calling me? What are you wanting me to do? The Lord says to you, I will be with you, no matter where you go. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talks with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth into a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. So Gideon's looking for a sign, and he just went out, and, he, and he's now made, he's prepared food for this guy. Then it says, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So now Gideon's doubt has to be removed because not too many people can touch their staff on a rock and make everything just kind of burn with fire and disappear. So now Gideon, Gideon was looking for a sign. How many times are we looking for a sign from the Lord? Lord, if this is you, Lord, if this is you, do this. Lord, if this is you, do that. I'm looking for a sign. I'm saying, God, show me what direction you want me to go right now. I don't know. But, but God, God is so willing to show us clearly if we'll just listen. If we'll just listen. So I'm going to go ahead and jump down to, well, I'll just keep going here. Verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You will not die. So the Lord is telling him, Do not fear. You will not die. And so Gideon, Gideon goes forward from here. But God's calling him to do some tough stuff. Says So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still an Oprah of the Abizrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. So now God is calling Gideon to go to his own father's house and destroy the idols that are so prevalent and so deep in that, in that culture. And to think that Gideon grew up in this house and there is this idol and Gideon did not bow down to that idol because evidently he's being called right now and this is what he does. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So not only tell him to tear down the image, now he's telling him to use the image for the wood to burn the, the sacrifice. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much, to do it by day, he did it by night. Well, now we know that Gideon's human because that's probably what I would have done. I don't think I would have gone out in the middle of the day and, and tore that all down. So we can put a, a human, we can put humanness on Gideon. He's not some superhero in the Bible. Anyway, so we're going to go down to, um, let's go down to verse 30. Said so then the men of the city said to Joash, this is after they woke up the next day and found out that this had all been done. And he said, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Well, what did God promise Gideon? He promised Gideon he wouldn't die. So 
we can rest assured that going down further, he didn't die. But Joash, who is his father, said to all who stood against him, Why would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on the day, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, Jerubbabel. Yeah, there you go. He called him Jerubbabel, saying, "Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar." Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together. They crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. God has his hero for this situation right here. Gideon, after all of the doubt, after all of the maybe fear, he now has the Spirit of the Lord upon him, the Holy Spirit of the Lord upon him, and he blows a horn and everybody lines up behind him. God has made him a leader. God is making you leaders. God is calling you to be leaders, to step out, to stand up, to go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in your lives. That's what he's calling us to. So then, the sign of the fleece, and you guys have all, you're all familiar with this, but we're going to read it anyway. So Gideon said to God, verse 36, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And so it was so, and it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. That wasn't quite enough. So then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So God proves himself over and over and over to Gideon. How many of us has God proved himself over and over and over? How many times has God proved to me over and over And so that's the story, but then it goes on, and Gideon goes down, and and they completely destroy the Midianites with 300 men. And that was all he needed for that whole mess that was coming against him. And the last person that I want to share with you guys about is David. David. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. Going to start, we'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> so what's happened is Saul was removed as king of Israel, right, by now. And Samuel is trying to figure out what to do. 
And God says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so I'll just kind of paraphrase this. So Samuel goes down into town. The people in town go, "Uh uh-oh, what's he doing here? And they say, do you come peaceably? And Samuel says, yes, I do. And so he invited Jesse and his sons to a feast. And so we'll pick it up in verse 7 again. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at the physical stature, because I have refused him. He's talking about Eliab, the, the oldest son. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I can stand up here and put on a great facade, but the fact is, is God is looking at the heart. We need to be people that have a heart that is soft toward God, that is pliable in the Lord's hands, that is surrendered to the Lord. We can look as good as we want to on the outside, but at some point, it will all unravel. And Lord willing, in my own life, as I seek God for the next the next chapter of my own life, Lord, may I not <laughs> unravel, but may I be the real deal. May we be the real deal. So, so they went down through all of the sons, and God kept saying, nope, that's not him. No, that's not him. And he said, and then he says in verse 11, And Samuel said to Jesse, are, are, all, are all the young men here? And then he said, no, there's one that remains, yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, We'll send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. You know what ruddy means? Kind of reddish. Reddish, huh? No, I said, I said reddish. <laughs> no. That's all right. And he had bright eyes, and he was good looking. And the Lord said, Arise. Anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and listen to this again. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Once again, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David. He has been called. God has said, That's the one. Anoint him. He is the one. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David from that time forward. To kind of see a pattern here is that when we try to receive or go out on a calling on our own, we're, gonna, we're not going to make it. But when the Holy Spirit, when God is calling us into ministry of any kind, whether it's, honestly, whether it's being a janitor whether it's opening the doors for people when they come through these doors, whether it's, whether it's a secretary or a pastor or a missionary, it all is dependent. The success of that depends on whether we are submitted wholly to the Holy Spirit. 
Because the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And we can't do it on our own because at some point we're going to burn out. Um, I heard a good little quote. It says that God will send us, he'll, 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 we'll go where we're sent and not where we're spent. If we're sent and we go in the power of the Lord, then we'll, we'll, be, able to, we'll be able to carry on. But if we go where we're spent, and we'll run out of gas and we'll wind up coming home. So I want to tell you this too, that the preparation time is now. It's not, God doesn't, he doesn't equip, he, he equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. So if we think we're ready to go out and hard charge it, and we're not going in the strength of the Lord, we're going to burn out, but he will equip the ones that he calls. And the equipping, I always thought until today that it was always looking forward that we would be called out and then he would equip us as we went. But you know what? He's equipping us each day right now because he sees the beginning from the end. He knows the calling he has in our lives and so he's equipping us now, and then, bam, here's the calling, and, and we go. And we go in the strength of the Lord because we know that he's moving us. Um, quickly, I, uh, it's amazing to me. I have a daughter and her husband. They have five kids, 11, 9, 7, 5, and 3. Is that right, Elizabeth? And last, early in the year, they said, we feel like God's calling us to Thailand. Did I ever tell you guys this story? Anyway, so my son, my son-in-law is working for FedEx. He's knocking down about a hundred thousand a year, and he's pretty successful in what he's doing. And he says, "I feel like the Lord's calling us to Thailand." We went, and you know what? In my heart, I just identified. I said, "Yeah, I, 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 my, my heart bears witness to that." So they picked up. He left his job. They went over to Thailand. They've been in Thailand for six months, and it's amazing to see what God's doing. But here's, here's what they're doing. They didn't know what they were going to be doing when we got there exactly, except they knew that they were going to be in charge of 100, girl, uh, 100 girls in a home of girls that had been bought before they were sold into um, sexual slavery. So that's what they're doing. But you know the beautiful thing is, is my daughter is a ballet. She, she's a ballet teacher, was. She plays piano beautifully. She sings. And my son-in-law plays a guitar and my son-in-law loves basketball. He loves a coach. And I only tell you all this because God has been, been, was preparing them for years. And now they're naturally, supernaturally, naturally just walking in what God has given them, the gifts and abilities he's given them in that perspective to be able to open relationships with these girls to pour the gospel of Jesus Christ into them. Just naturally, she teaches 30 ballet students, 75 singers, and they're all Thai. So she's not doing them in Thai because she doesn't know Thai and they don't know English. So they're, they're, doing, they're doing voice. They're singing. But anyway, so God's doing this in our own lives. The natural things that we are doing are what God takes and uses for his glory. Now, we can roll that over to the spiritual sense, too. You may be in a discipleship class in 1 Timothy. You may be uh, teaching Sunday school to little kids. You don't know what God is preparing you for. God is preparing you each day for the calling he has on your life.
And that, that calling could be when we're 75 years old like Abraham. It could be when we're young men like David. It could be any time, so we just need to be ready to go. So I just want to kind of, I need about 10 more minutes and, and I'll be done. But I just want to share this with you. The only qualifications that we need when we are, are, are being called by the Lord into a, into a spiritual ministry, the only qualifications that we need are that we have been with Jesus. I don't need a Ph.D. I don't need a master's. I don't need a four-year degree in college. I don't even need a high school education because God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, is equipping me for every good work. I don't need to have all of that worldly stuff. I just need to be with Jesus. That's all. There's four words that the Lord has given me personally over the last couple, three months as I've been praying about my next, our next step. The first one is patience. The first thing we need to know as we are receiving a calling from the Lord, is to patiently wait for Him to move in our lives. We need to keep our ears sensitive to the voice of the Lord and like uh, it was said earlier, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, Moses. And then there's that time of preparation, and I've already touched on this, but there, God doesn't waste anything. Every day, every, everything we do, everything we hear is, is, is preparation that he's preparing us. He's equipping us for what he has for us. And then, to, I, just to, to be a little redundant here, but Abraham was 75 years old in the time of preparation. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. David tended sheep. And Gideon was, in a judge, was a judge in Israel in a time when the Israelites were, were idol worshipers. So with patience, we wait for that open door. The next thing that the Lord has given me is unity. There needs to be unity of the Spirit. I need to be more concerned with having a vital relationship with Jesus and being in unity than, with Him than trying to figure out my ministry as I delight myself in the Lord and trust in Him, He will give me the desires of my heart. So, so all to say that I just need that intimate relationship with Jesus and everything else is going to fall into place. Just like that. And it's, it's crazy. It sounds too easy, but it's true. And then we need to be at a place of full surrender and totally yielded to whatever He calls us to do. And not walk in fear not walk in doubt, but walk in faith, trusting. And I need to make sure that my 100% of being sold out for Jesus is God's 100%. Because I tend to judge other things by my standards, but I judge myself by my good intentions. So maybe, just maybe, my 100% isn't God's 100%, but I have to come unyielded, open, and just trusting Him. The third word I got was expectancy, that when Jesus calls me to move, I go. When the Lord calls, go. Jesus offers us choices sometimes. You might, have, you might be able to go uh, one way or the other, and either way is okay when he calls you. And 
whatever way you go works, and somebody else, he'll, he'll raise up somebody else to fill that, that place. That If you go this way, he'll, he'll raise up someone else to fill this. So we don't need to be concerned about that. We just need to know that what God is saying to us, and we just need to, to move. When it's time, when he says go, go. And the last thing is rest. We need to go where we are sent, I already said this, and not where we are spent. We need to not get stressed or worried about how things are all going to come together. We need to rest and just let Him do the work, and all we have to do is rest. And you know, my wife was saying, well, honey, what's the difference between patience and rest? I mean, do you get it? And I said, yeah, patience is when we... we we wait, expectantly waiting. Like if I lay down on my bed, I told her today, I said, if I lay down on our bed, I'm not patienting, I'm resting, right? So rest is not taking up our, our, our uh, tools or whatever and, and going and, you know, standing there and ready to go. We just rest, trust him, let him do the work. Patience is maybe just standing there with our tools and waiting for him to say, go. Does that, does that make sense to you guys? Because my wife asked me that this morning, and I said, well, <laughs> it works for me. But anyway, so I think, you know, the four things that as we are considering the calling God has on us are those is patience, unity, and expectancy, and rest. And then, church, to walk in faith, and, and don't let fear hinder you from, from God, the destiny that God has for you. It's really hard. Um, you know, the decisions that I have to make, I just have to look beyond beyond what is, and, and I need to go. If he calls me to go, I can't worry about relationships with my family or whatever. And, and here's the last thing I just want to share with you, then I'm done. The fact is, is some are called to go out and others are called to stay and prepare those who are called to go. But we all are called. Some, some people in this room have been called to Calvary Chapel Buell. Your calling is to come here and to be part of the ministry here. So that's important to know. We don't, we don't all come here and then go, okay, where are we going next? <laughs> because sometimes... We need to be here to come alongside what's going on here to raise up people, to strengthen people for them to go. And our going means staying right here and helping raise up those that will go. Okay? So I just wanted to share that with you. So if you're not going, that doesn't mean that you're not, you don't have a calling. You are called to be here and, and raising up people right here. Okay? Well, that's it for this evening. So that's, that's my teaching on called and calling. And I hope I was able to help you unpack that a little bit. And I hope it provokes you to thought and maybe even spurs you to action. So um, I just want to take a moment to pray. And um, I'm going to have Elizabeth is going to lead us in a song. And she's going to do, we're going to do Oceans again because... It's, it's an it's amazing song, and it just talks about getting out of our comfort zones. And uh, Elizabeth, if you want to come on up, and I'll just go ahead and pray. Do you have the keyboard fired up? Good, thank you. Huh?
Anyway, just let me pray, you guys. And I'm, God, we just thank you for this uh, opportunity to gather together tonight.